there and welcome to episode 13 of Live from Vader's Castle. I'm your host, Dan McQuarrie, and as always, I'm joined with my co-host, John Lee. Hello, John. Hello there. How are you? Um, I'm doing I'm doing just fine. Yourself, are you good? Yeah, not too bad. Glad it's Friday. I'm ready for the weekend. It's true, yeah. We do we do like the Fridays. It's been a bit of a it's been a bit of a strange week though because I've only been working like today and yesterday because I was on holiday like until yesterday, so it doesn't quite feel like Friday. But that's just it's just because I'm lucky. Yeah, you are lucky. It definitely feels like a Friday to me. <laughs> it's been one of those busy weeks for you, has it? Yeah, it's been it's been busy. But Friday, I was blessed with another episode of the Bad Batch, so it's all good. Well, we've we've technically been blessed with two, because on last week's episode, we didn't do our review of episode nine, because we uh, we pre-recorded last week um, and had a whole episode talking about uh, Darth Vader and his greatest moments, his greatest hits. So if you haven't listened to that one, check it out. It's, uh, it's pretty good. Um, so yeah, this week we've got both last week's episode of The Bad Batch um, episode nine and this week's episode of the bad batch episode 10 to talk about so it's a, a full hour of bad batch discussion on a on today's episode yeah i mean last week's episode was very very fun to talk about so I, but i'm also excited to talk about two episodes of the bad batch not just one for like these two episodes have been very good there's a lot to sink our teeth into so hopefully we can fill our time with some great discussions yeah, definitely. Two very good but very different episodes, I think. Um, so it's definitely going to be some different things to talk about between the two. But we will go in chronological order. So we will first talk about last week's episode, which is called Bounty Lost. That was episode nine. And um, straight off the bat, I really, really enjoyed this episode. I thought it was a good action-packed bounty hunting extravaganza um and i really enjoyed it what did uh what did you think yourself john yeah i really enjoyed it as well actually as you said action packed but the action we saw wasn't exactly bad batch heavy like the actual like night clone force 99 like the action that we got was with uh, some different characters uh a new one to the uh star wars universe with fennec shand and a, an old classic with cap bane so that was that was really exciting to see action heavy but with different characters uh, for a change this season yeah it was it was it was definitely the first episode this season where like the bad batch themselves took a little bit of a, a side a sideline you know they, they they got subbed off last week you know they were in it briefly but really it was it was a megas episode and it was it was cad bane and fennec shan's episode so um it was a it was a really nice one to see i, I like the focus on omega i thought it was a uh, cool to see she can uh she can look after herself, to be fair now. And uh, getting to see two bounty hunters going at it, well, it was a, it was a right treat. So I agree with you. It was a, it was, was action-heavy, but not bad batch action-heavy. It was, it was badass bounty hunter-heavy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really good, actually. I mean, I know we've seen Fennec Shand previously in other episodes, I think twice before i think just once actually but uh obviously you've seen her in the mandalorian uh so to get to see an episode a 30 minute episode that had a lot of her in it 
And I think that was really good to help establish her into the Star Wars universe. Um, and obviously putting her alongside or up against a seasoned bounty hunter like Cad Bane. I think that was a, a really brave choice, but I think it was actually it paid off really well and hopefully create some um, some fans will now see her as like one of their favorite bounty hunters, uh, which I'm assuming yeah. is what we love to see. Yeah. No, I think... Yeah, you're right. She has just been in one episode before this. And whilst I like that episode, it is probably on the one of one of my lowest episodes of I mean, the whole season's been pretty consistent, but this is one of the ones I didn't like so much was her first appearance. Whereas I think this appearance of Fennec Shand really proved how much of a badass she is. Sort of proves why in Mandalorian when like Dinjarin sees his targets, Fennec Shand, and he's just like, Yeah, she's a notorious bounty hunter assassin, like you should be pretty scared of her. Kind of makes sense to us now because she went 1v1 versus Cad Bane and <laughs> came out alive. So <laughs> so it reminds me of a point I was saying a couple of weeks back um, of about, I was talking about Kylo Ren and, uh, and Ray and stuff. It's like, you bring up a character, you like, you make a character really badass and then that also brings up like the other characters around them. So I think my example at the time was like, if you make Snoke like really badass and then Kylo defeats him, it makes Kylo even more badass. So I feel like having uh, Fennec Shan go up against Cad Bane introduces her like at a, a, a real good badass point. I said badass a lot, but basically having her go up against such a cool character and coming out alive just makes her even cooler. Like it doesn't it doesn't make Cad Bane less cool, which is some things I've seen people saying. Um, yeah. which yeah. then is good to where we see her in the shows like The Mandalorians. Like we introduced her, and Din's like, ah. Oh, Oh no, I don't want to go against Fennec Shand. She's <laughs> a notorious bounty hunter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I think um yeah, we definitely we definitely got some uh what's the what's the word? We got some justification as to why Fennec Shand is is feared. Um so yeah, it was it was definitely a worthwhile worthwhile action scene. But we'll um we'll sort of go through the what happened in the episodes. A little bit. Obviously, we opened up with sort of immediately the aftermath of last week's, um, well, last week, the week before's <laughs> action-packed episode um, with Crosshair chasing the Bad Batch away from Bracker. First, first little point I wanted to make: Crosshair was actually looking a little bit better off than I thought he would be. I was kind of expecting him to be all Darth faded up at this point, but he was he was flying that ship looking all right. He's got. A a couple bandages, a couple burns, but he's doing all right. Yeah, he's not quite reached uh, Vader and he's back to tank, uh, which is, yeah, as you're saying, it's kind of, it was a bit of a worry about how he's going to come out, but no, he doesn't look too bad. He kind of reminds me of, um, who's that bounty hunter that also has like, Dengar, huh? <laughs> yeah, Dengar. He reminds me of Dengar. Uh, yeah, I've seen so bandages. many people draw on that comparison, to be fair, you, you, can, you can see it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, the man has got some dedication to uh, be that badly burned, you know, broken leg or whatever he had, broken arm. And he just jumped straight in the ship and he's, he's after them straight away. Like, he's just no rest for him. He's straight on their tail. Yeah, and obviously hunters all panicking, like, oh, where's the bounty hunter? Where's Omega, et cetera, et cetera. And Tech, Tech and Echo are just like, look, <clears throat> they've gone and we're not going to be able to save them if Crosshair blows us up. So we better jump to hyperspace and Hunter eventually gives in. And and that's pretty much all we really get of the Bad Batch in terms of action this episode. We see them a little bit 
again throughout the episode, but really we sort of head over to Omega and she's imprisoned in Cad Bane's ship and getting her taunted a little bit by little little Toto. Um, and she obviously meets Cad Bane. Um, he sort of comes down the ladder and like the with all like the Western music playing again, which I love every time they do that with Cad Bane. It just gets me really gassed. Um, so it's um, it, it was interesting to see that side of Cad Bane in the sense of you know he, he would normally just kill her, wouldn't he? He's, he's not that fast, but clearly his bounty is very strict. On like we need this pure genetic DNA alive. So could you just not kill her for once, Cad Bane, please? So <laughs> he's very much like just like yeah, you're you're lucky to be alive. Um, the I can imagine Omega must have been pretty scared in that moment of that being the Donny that uh, is keeping you in prison. Yeah, and I, I suppose as well, she's literally just seen him murk Hunter. Like, she doesn't know that he um, is alive because obviously she got zapped straight after. She's probably sitting there thinking, like, oh, he's, he's dead. Like, Hunter's dead. And this, this fella's just come along and killed him uh, in his cool cowboy hat. Uh, so, so she's yeah, she's probably really frightened, and uh, I think overall she does very well to like deal with it um, and get on with it, and like find her way of like doesn't have to rely on the bad batch this episode to save her. Really, yeah, as you said at the beginning, she kind of gets on with it herself and grows grows into herself a bit more. Uh, yeah, she's crafty, these- isn't she? She's crafty. She um she finds her way out. She notices that Toto's leg is obviously off and um that he's trying to fix it himself and she sort of uses up as an opportunity to sort of befriend him and offer to help fix his leg and then get out of prison switch him off and get her sort of comm device back so it was good to see omega doing something so crafty herself and not it wasn't just the fact that like in other episodes she obviously does stuff to like save the bad batch and stuff but it's normally because she like notices something that hunter does and copies it but <clears throat> this time she was very much like having to think for herself, thinking on her feet. And um, there's definitely good character development for Omega. She's quickly becoming a, a formidable character. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something a bit different. Like, I think it fits in well with like, the whole Bad Batch's um, way of doing things, I suppose. So, uh, thinking outside the box uh, is what gets in the results. So, yeah, very clever for her to try and convince, or to convince uh, Toto, or Togo, what his name I'm pronouncing it wrong, but yeah. Todo, I think. Um, it's totally, yeah. Todo. I feel like I can never get it right because uh, I can't quite nail Cad Bane's accent. Todo. He's, he's always like, Todo. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it manages to trick him into opening the cell and then giving her full access to all his wirings, which is even for a robot, that's a silly move to make. Uh, switches her off. He, she switches him off and off she runs. Find the think- com link. Um, and escapes the ship. Desperately tries to, yeah, meshes the bad badge. What I think is so interesting is that, I mean, I love that. I absolutely love Dave Filoni. He's the goat. I'm never going to criticise him. But you see so many similarities between, obviously, Clone Wars Rebels and now Bad Batch of, like, sort of this young, like a young main character who starts off pretty annoying, pretty useless. You just sort of like, why are they here? What's the point? And then they get surrounded by adults who know what they're doing and they're very competent, join a bit of a family and then very soon become not that useless and actually very, very useful. And in the way that um, uh, that, um, Ahsoka and Ezra 
sort of went on that journey. We can see Omega going on that journey as well. And I don't mean that in any criticism whatsoever because it's really effective storytelling, particularly because Star Wars is aimed to, you know, inspire and entertain children. Um, it's really good storytelling for that age group. Also for us as, as adults, um, it's those sort of coming of age stories that sort of we recognize from our childhood, not necessarily the breaking out of a bounty hunter's prison part, but, you know, overcoming <laughs> life's obstacles as a kid. It's a very common Dave Filoni themes. And I just thought it was very present in this episode, which I, uh, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. I mean, I suppose it's one of those things is like, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. So if that's, you know, that's Dave's like go-to method of storytelling, I suppose. Um, or the one that he finds works the best with Star Wars, and you go for it. I mean, to um, be fair, it isn't it isn't even really Dave's. It's, it's George Lucas's original. I mean, that was that was the Luke Skywalker story, the the whiny farm boy becoming the formidable Jedi to Anakin's little whiny boy racer into a formidable Jedi. Is you know, it's it's from the Lucas school of filmmaking into the Filoni school of filmmaking now into like every Star Wars show which comes out but that's it's the core theme of Star Wars so as you said if it ain't broke yeah um I think it's just because as I, I think I said last week or the week before like personally I always feel like a great Star Wars story uh, or great story in any media really is about the emotions I feel like it just always conveys such strong emotions that his the way Star Wars like, tells its stories with, and that sort of method we just uh, mentioned that works for me. And until I get bored of it, which I can't see happening for another 20, 30 years, uh, they can keep going. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I couldn't agree more. And I think Omega is like slowly sort of like episode by episode becoming a character that more and more I can see myself, you know, ranking on the level that I rank, you know, other Ahsoka's and Ezra's and that sort of thing. Obviously, <clears throat> she's nowhere close yet. You know, even I, I kind of hope she doesn't. I, I'm hoping that they're sticking with this idea of her like being special because of her relation to the Fets, which we'll go into in a minute, as opposed to any idea of force sensitivity. So obviously, she's not going to be like a Jedi character the way I rate like Ezra and Ahsoka, but she's like slowly getting there. I can see myself in like three or four seasons of the Bad Batch being like, yeah. I rate Omega pretty highly. She's a very endearing character, very smart, capable, um, works works well with the rest of the batch. And uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I mean, very true. I mean, as you said, it's not, I mean, it wasn't until like season three of Rebels or like, I don't know, like season five of Clone Wars, ironically, when Ahsoka leaves, that you really feel like she's like one of those like, characters that like sticks in your heart uh so yeah i'm just i don't want them to rush it or like try and rush omega's like development so i think they're getting i think you know they're they're pacing it really well uh so it completely completely works for me at the moment and yeah if it takes a couple seasons it takes a couple seasons you you know you can't really complain about good storytelling being over a you know a long period of time yeah, exactly. I, I agree with you. I think they can, they're pacing it really well because every episode we sort of see her being sort of more sort of individual, useful, strong, and then we're sort of learning more and more about her as well, which brings me on 
to the big bombshell that this episode dropped. Um, see, the Bad Batch is still trying to figure out where she is. They figured out that it's Cad Bane that took her. And then Tech drops the bombshell that he's just like, oh, yes, I've been studying her DNA a little bit. And turns out she's a complete genetic replication of Django Fett, the only one available because Bob has sort of assumed MIA. Um, she is essentially Boba Fett's <laughs> twin sister. He's Alpha, she's Omega. She is the key to obviously Django Fett's to genetic material, which we know has all like, all but dwindled out now. So that's the reason why the Kaminoans are so desperate for her. That's what makes her so special. Her genetic mutation is she's just basically a female version of Django Fett. Um, and I absolutely loved this being the thing that made Omega special. I think we had talked about it quite a bit of like, are they going down the force sensitivity line? And I thought it was an interesting concept, but I was a little bit like, nah, I don't want it. I want a show that's not about force sensitives. I want it to be about, you know, clones, bounty hunters, ordinary people, that sort of thing. And the fact that they've said that the reason that Omega is so special is because she's basically Boba Fett's sister. I was like, yes, more of this, please. I liked it. I was very, very happy. Were you? Yeah, me too. Actually, I think it's a great, um, great reveal. As you said, I think it's refreshing that it's not just another like force thing. Because I know obviously it's Star Wars, and like the main thing of Star Wars is you know the force and the lightsabers and stuff. But there's so much more storytelling that's available with other avenues. Um, so I think having Omega being basically you know Boba Fett or Jango Fett, I suppose. Uh, but like a female version. Uh, one, it's very refreshing, as I just said, you know, and Boba Fett is such a love character and it really can, obviously we haven't had much Boba Fett stuff. So I think adding like some more lore to that kind of family tree, love it. I think you can't go wrong. Uh, and it's just nice for female representation, I suppose, is that it's, you get to have Boba Fett can be like the, for the people that want to have like a guy role model and then you got Omega for guys people that want to have a girl role model in the Boba Fett tree exactly I think I think you're, you're right in saying that as well like the implications that this has for that family tree obviously there's a whole lot of story here which I imagine Filoni is planning out over multiple shows and years but you know one day Boba Fett's going to realise he's got a twin sister basically um a sister, uh, much like Luke and Leia, to find out. I feel like Boba Fett's going to have to find out one day how long Omega's going to survive for. Is she still going to be alive post Sarlacc Pit Mandalorian? You know, this Boba Fett that we meet who's a little less evil than he was pre Sarlacc Pit. Is she going to, um, is she going to be obviously the good, good guy and Boba Fett sort of going to be the bad guy and they're going to scrap each other? Who knows where this can go? But I think the implications of what this means, you know, she's also essentially a Mandalorian as well. We've This basically confirms as well because obviously Jango Fett was confirmed to be a Mandalorian in um, The Mandalorian. So that made Boba Fett by default a Mandalorian as well. That's what he argued. That's why Din let him keep the armor but then i guess does that also make a mega technically a mandalorian in a way he wasn't he wasn't right she wasn't raised by Django fett you know to fight in the armor or anything like that but i guess by you know family tree rules she could you know dawn the mandalorian armor one day which i think would be very very awesome no idea where any of this is going to go but 
it's all very interesting and leaves many questions that I don't need answered right now. I just want to think about them. So, so yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, oh, it gives so much room for like speculation and like, oh, like where are you going to go with it between like the eras? So, like, we're obviously we're finding out at the moment like what's happening between like uh, prequels and the original trilogy, I suppose. And then, like, how far does the story go? Does it go? Does it span past the original trilogy, as you said? Does it then span into like the uh, Mandalorian area? Does it span even further than this? Like. My idea could be is that she gets frozen in carbonite for like 20 years and then just appears in Book of Boba Fett as like a fully grown woman. Um, Yeah, no, I was having the exact same thought the other day. I was just like, how would she appear in Book of Boba Fett? And I was like, I just can imagine Book of Boba Fett being like episodes long and then like the the final like post-credit scene (laughs) of like Book of Boba Fett. It's like Omega just rocks up as like a full-on older woman now just in like some badass armor and she's just like shoots Boba not dead obviously she like shoots him in the shoulder or something and then she's like yo broski we need to talk <laughs> and then everyone's like whoa where's where's a mega bean all this time and then Filoni's like ah you're gonna have to watch season two of Bad Batch to find out and then it just you know he goes into that cross cross show storytelling that I'm sure he absolutely can't wait to do so yeah speculation gone wild <laughs> yeah I mean it's nuts it just leaves so much room for you literally can go anywhere with it, I suppose I mean, because it is Star Wars you could literally um, yeah I mean I saw some people online have been like because um, in Sid's room there's like a um, a white Mandalorian helmet yeah, um, yeah so people have been like is it like the white Boba Fett armour that was like um I don't know if you've ever seen that, the pictures of like promotion armors that he used to have. I can't remember what it was for, but basically mm. it's like an all white Boba Fett armor. I can't yeah. remember if it was like concept art or something. Yeah, it'd be it's clean. Like, that what she's it. wearing? Yeah. Jeez. Because I mean, she does wear a lot of white. Yeah, exactly. Oh, possibilities are endless. But yeah, I feel like that was the major mm. bombshell that was dropped in that episode. And I think most people who watched it were like, oh, that's pretty crazy. That's that's a pretty good connection. And I feel like a lot of sort of like diehard Star Wars fans just got their like, that meme out and it was just like paper on the wall with all the arrows. <laughs> just like, what does yeah. this mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel, man. Which is probably, as you said, an accurate representation of Dave Filoni's office as well. <laughs> it's just him going how many different shows is Omega now going to pop up in with Boba Fett and with Ahsoka and with Din and with Baby Yoda and yeah hype (laughs) yeah I mean surely I mean you can't create a new character in a franchise like Star Wars that's set like so far in like the past I suppose because that was a sequel era at the moment is like what's the most uh, present thing so like set in the past as well so you got to catch up with all these other storylines and make it fit in place yeah, so and I feel you like... Have, you have to have a crazy wall. Yeah, Filoni is not going to give Boba Fett a twin sister when there's a Boba Fett show coming out and not do it for a particular reason. He's got a plan. The man has got a plan. It's going somewhere. I'm telling you. Boba Fett has come back and now he has a twin sister within the same year. So there's definitely big plans going on at Luke's film, which I'm very excited about. Yeah. I can imagine him sitting there like uh, in, I don't know, like 
writing for Mandalorian season two or three or whatever, like uh, John Favreau, and he's just like, hey, John, listen to what I'm going to do. <laughs> it's like <laughs> breadcrumbs for him. He's like, hey, never guess what I'm going to do next. Hey, John, I've got a plan. <laughs> what about what about in season one of Mandalorian? We just have a shot of like a pair of boots finding a finding a bounty hunter dead dead in a desert. Oh, and by the way, this bounty hunter is going to be in this Bad Batch show. Oh, by the way, those boots are Boba Fett. Oh, by the way, he's alive. Oh, by the way, he has a twin sister. <laughs> John Favreau's just like Dave, <laughs> Dave. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> so please, Dave, calm down. <laughs> So yeah, that that definitely got me excited. That was probably one of the one of the most interesting parts of the episode. But I mean, the uh, the reveals didn't stop there. We also found out that it was Lama Su, obviously, who hired Cad Bane. Lama Su wants Omega back, obviously, for her genetic material to duplicate it and then have her killed. Nala Say does not want that. Other reveal: she hired Fennec Shand because she wants Omega alive and safe away from the Prime Minister. So the Kaminoans are at each other as well. So there's there's layers on layers going on here, which I thought was really interesting because not only is you know everyone and their mum after Omega, but the Kaminoans are also fighting amongst themselves. There's all sorts of intrigue going on here. And I thought that was a really interesting little connection. Still good. I'm I love that we're getting Camino stuff still throughout the show. I think it's obviously all gonna pay off by the end of the season. Um, so yeah, I thought that was a nice little bit of plot that they included as well. Yeah, it's almost like the, the little Kamino and Civil War happening amongst the Parliament, or like the top figures, um, all over Omega, I suppose. You know, as you said, some want them dead, some want are dead, or some. I don't want to say someone are dead. It's obviously just the prime minister. Like once they're dead, but everyone else is just kind of following along with it. Yeah, um, Nala say in particular has that connection, so she doesn't want yeah. her dead. And yeah, it's interesting. I'd love to just like I don't know, maybe like a book or something. Have like that relationship explored more. Maybe like Omega like growing up because obviously she doesn't age like everyone else. The, the, the rest of the clones should I say like she ages like the same age as like same way as Boba Fett, you know, like everyone yeah, else naturally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that took such a long-winded way of saying naturally, but yeah. Um, uh, so I think like a, a nice book or like maybe like a short comic series, like explaining that would be really interesting. Yeah. I think. And I think uh, I'd like a little character a little junior, a little junior novel. You know, like a book for sort of you know like kids who could read it and be like, oh, a little story about Omega. And then us like Star Wars nerds can be like, what happened on Camino on this day back in twenty-two BBY. <laughs> Mm. you could even write it like a like a mega's journal that'd be such a great idea yeah that'd be cool there you go lucas lucas film yeah come on so, guys Disney, give me a listen, call give me a you call l- are you listening to this stuff this is gold over there. <laughs> <laughs> obviously yeah the uh the Dave, rest of the episode the yeah, rest of the episode after that um was a big action scene and i don't mean that to uh in a negative at all it was an awesome action scene there was obviously quite a lot of plot going on of like what is Fennec Shand really up to you know what's Cad Bane willing to do what line is he willing to cross but ultimately it was two badass bounty hunters beating the crap out of each other one minute Cad Bane had the upper hand then Fennec Shand had the upper hand then Cad Bane had a flamethrower then Fennec Shand booted him out a window then he had a jetpack it was all going off it was a very exciting fight um so, you know, 
as as much as it was an awesome fight scene, and I absolutely loved it. It's not a huge amount to talk about, really, apart from the fact that it was it was awesome. Do you sort of have anything that you want to you want to bring up about the fight, apart from how good Cad Bane's blasters sound when he shoots them? Because I was just like, <laughs> I might get that sound recorded and have as like a text notification because I like really really love the sound of his blasters. <laughs> uh. I was gonna say that I really forgot that Cad Bane had like his little jetpack rocket boot things. So like when she yeeted him off the side, I was like, "Oh shit, she's killed him!" <laughs> and then um, he like, activated his little rocket boots, and I was like, "Oh, oh yeah, that's fine." Um, I forgot he had those those crafty uh, boots. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was a, a sick fight. I mean, yeah, as you said, it went either way. Like one time, one at uh, one moment, Cad Bane on the other hand, another moment, Fennec Shan. There was one move in particular I thought was unreal. I can't exactly remember what it was, but like Fennec Shan hit him with like a nasty headbutt. I'm pretty sure it was like it flowed really well from like another move or something, but I can't exactly yeah, remember what it was. Yeah, no, he, it was he pretty tasty. Yeah, he headbutts her with like the sort of little metal plate that he has on top of his head and like thinks he's knocked her out and then goes for a mega and then she sort of charges at him and does like an uppercut with the top of her head. (laughs) Yeah, that was it. Headbutts him on the chin. It was, was, yeah, it was sick. Really well choreographed fight scene. Um, Lots of really awesome little moves and stuff. Yeah, I'd be interested to see if they used um, um, motion capture because obviously, you know, they did it in season seven of Clone Wars with Maul versus Ahsoka. So I'd be interested to see if that's mm. how they did that. And I think it's quite common these days because yeah. it's a lot easier, I think, to capture uh, things like that than to actually yeah. sit there and animate them. Wouldn't be surprised. I mean, so I'd be interested to see that behind the scenes thing. They're continuing, continuing, continuing to make the show look absolutely incredible. Um, the, the action and everything, when you compare it to some of those early fight scenes in the Clone Wars back in like 2008, they've come a long way. Um, these fight scenes are so fluid and so action packed, and so many pieces moving at once, but still incredible. Um, so yeah, I've got, I've got to take my got to take my Cad Bane hat off <laughs> to the animators who are doing such an incredible job. No, yeah, it was a really good fight as well. As you said, it was uh, excellently choreographed. Um, and as I said at the beginning, like it puts uh, Fennec Shan on like a good pedestal to, you know, she's earned like the title she's given in like Mandalorian when like Din Djarin's like intimidated by her. I feel like she's she's adding uh, notches to her to her hat. I think is, is the phrase. Yeah, um, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's great. And I think the only other bit that I talk about is when the um, the slimy failed. Camino clone fell on Fennec. <laughs> that bit was quite funny. It was a crafty little move from oh, her. Yeah. And she, yeah, she breaks the sort of scare. I mean, they, they were giving me real Exegol vibes, you know, of all the, palp, the failed Palp clones. Um, but those tanks mm. drop, dropping on um, on Fennec, obviously the, the sort of the message of this scene was just like, this is past Kaminoan cloning experiments because this was a an ex-Kaminoan facility it was like the floating version of if it was if it was Avatar this is the air version of Kamino as opposed to Kamino being like the the water version uh I wonder if there's one on Mustafar as well um so obviously Omega sees all of these like failed clones and she's like oh no they're gonna make me into one of these failed clones um, which is obviously a bit bit horrific for her to see. 
Um, but I liked I liked the little little suggestions that were being made there. I don't think they were trying to link it back to Snoke or anything. I feel like any time we see a body in a tub, we go, "Oh, Snoke." I don't think they were. I think I think they're just trying to say, "Yeah, this is this is." The Kaminoans weren't always so successful with cloning. Is probably the point they were trying to make here. But it made for a little spooky and funny bit of action. Yeah, I didn't realise this either. So I was, I found out literally today, and I was watching some YouTube videos that the Kaminoans um, experimented on their own DNA like that to adapt to Camino. Apparently, Camino used to be like a land planet, then went through an ice age, and all the ice melted, and now it's covered in water. And then they adapted their own DNA through like their own cloning process to better survive the conditions on Camino. So that like failed Camino clone is probably like an experiment they did for that yeah. sort of reasons. Yeah, that uh, makes perfect well, sense. Yeah, I think Camino is so fascinating. The Kaminoans are so interesting. The the more time we spend there, the better. Really, I, I love getting all these little threads, and I like seeing this other you know cloning facility it gave a little bit of backstory um and a little bit of you know questions that could be answered could not be answered um but it still still led for some for some interesting visuals and and storytelling yeah uh, i think i mean as you said like, yeah anytime we see a clone or like a body in a tube we're just like oh my god is this is this like is this how smoke started and it's just like no it was just an interesting fact or an interesting little tidbit about what well, the Kaminoans been up to for like the last how many years? Or <laughs> yeah, whatever. in in Marvel shows, it's like it's the Mephisting, isn't it? It's just like every time something happens, it's like, oh, is this Mephisto? And that's sort of the <laughs> meme now. And it's like <laughs> in Star Wars, it's just Snoking now. It's just every time we see a body in a tube, it's like, oh, it's Snoke. <laughs> so <that> no, <laughs> yeah, hundred <laughs> Um. So yeah, obviously, Omega manages to escape. She gets to an escape pod, has a little a little scrap with Toto. And then she manages to escape and then get rescued by the Bad Batch. But the thing I liked about this sort of little ending was she actually didn't need, you know, she managed all of this herself. They just swooped in at the end to pick her up. But, you know, really she was able to handle herself. And, uh, you know, they were on the sideline and then they picked her up at the end. And uh, it was a nice little moment, nice little reunion. Hugs all round. Her and Hunter had a sort of a cute little, you know, daughter-father moment. And... uh and she's safe, and they promise that she's never going back to Camino again, which is definitely a line of dialogue telling the audience she will be going back to Camino again. <laughs> that is a promise yeah. that's going to get broken. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I mean, as you said, I think this episode really did show that Omega has her own skills and her own ways of getting out of trouble, which she managed to do all by herself, which is... Uh, you know, like impressive for her and builds on her character development. Uh, and yeah, all really was needed was the bad batch to catch her at the end um, in their ship. And that was about it, really. Uh, you know, so I'm very excited that we get to see her a bit more independent. Um, and I'm kind of hoping that as the shows go on, they give her more and more independence. And, then, you know, in future seasons, we can finally see her like become her own character. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, it was a really strong episode and I really enjoyed it. Um, so let's jump on to this week's episode. Today's, well, yesterday, if you're listening, tomorrow, you, the, we confused ourselves with Friday's episode. <laughs> the newest one, episode 10, titled Common Ground. Now this, I'd say, 
is a slower episode than last week. Still quite action-packed, but it takes a foot off the accelerator a little bit. We sort of go back to what our status quo, the Bad Batch, should become, which is them working for Sid. And there's a mission, but this time a Mega's sidelined, and it's the Bad Batch get their big action scene, which I thought was nice. Obviously, they were sidelined last week, Omega's sidelined this week. But this week, Omega does get quite a bit of character development as well. It was a fun episode. I actually enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would when it was getting set up. Um, and then I watched it again just now, and I really, really enjoyed it. So um, overall, before we go into the details, overall, John, what did you what did you think of this this newest episode? No, I, I really liked it, actually. I, I mean, as you said, like, it did take his foot off the gas a, a tiny bit um, in terms of the action, but it was nice to see yeah, the Bad Batch back in like the driver's seat. Uh, it was nice to see like the moral choices they had to make and like how again there's like how they view the um galaxy after the crime wars have ended and how they view themselves um and just how they're going to move forward with certain things uh, that i think they did they did well they talked about well in the episode uh yeah yeah, yeah and obviously the development with uh omega i think was really good uh and i re- i'm really looking forward to today i'm exploring that a bit more in future episodes actually yeah yeah i think um obviously the, the episode opened up and i thought it was a really really interesting opening it opened up with planet raxis which we see in one episode of clone wars when um ahsoka goes and meets the bonteris padme it's raxis they go to which is the the central government of the separatists and they're being occupied by the empire which obviously is really interesting just to see that you know what was happening to the separatist their planets as well as the Republic planets. Now the Empire's about. Senator, I think it's, is it Adi Singh or Avi Singh, his name, I believe. Uh, yeah. Senator, I wrote it down because I didn't want to make a mistake. It is Senator Singh, <laughs> at least. He, he is sort of forced into um, giving in to the Empire and telling his planet that they're going to have to accept it to which he actually says no quite honourably and he's taken into custody. His droid then sends out a message basically saying we need someone to come rescue him. That's the sort of intro. Things I took away from that first scene, animation is absolutely beautiful. That planet looked incredible. B, really interesting to see what the Empire's up to and how their occupation on other planets is going. And see, it's very interesting to find myself rooting for a separatist, <laughs> which obviously is the whole point of the episode. But I thought it was a very interesting way to open up the episode. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit different, obviously. Uh, I think as Hunter says, um, uh, he didn't think they'd go to that planet. Well, he, think, he thought they'd go to that planet at some point, but not the way they did. So obviously, I'm assuming he was meaning that they'd go and they like won the Clone Wars to like take over the the planet to unlike you know mark their victory and in the end they go in there to save a separatist uh senator so probably not the most ideal scenario for a bunch of clones to go on uh but yeah i mean i think it's really interesting like i think some of the characters that had the most interesting points of view on what they were doing personally i think was echo Echo was the one who was like really against it. Like he hated the idea and it was like numerous yeah. times yeah. he said he didn't like it. And I think numerous times off screen, he must've said it as well. Cause he mentioned it uh, on screen to us 
in the ship and uh Wrecker's like yeah we know you said loads of times so even though he mentioned it to us quite a lot he's probably been mentioned in that off screen even more <laughs> which is obviously understandable considering what the separatists did to him <laughs> yeah so it's pretty understandable why he's so against it yeah exactly um, which I, I, thought... I was kind of hoping they'd mention I, I was kind of hoping he'd mention it to like the other bad batcher or like make a bigger fuss about it but yeah I was, I was literally just gonna yeah so. I was literally just gonna say that that I agree I think this the sort of the core moral theme and question of this episode was very much rooted in Echo. I almost just wish he had a little bit more time just because I think whenever Echo was sort of going on about this, like I'm not comfortable with helping the separatists. It's very obvious, obviously that, you know, based on Echo's past, what, what Tambor did to him. And then through to the end of the episode, when it was Echo that sort of says to the separatists, like you should live to fight another day. I really like that and I really like that question. My only criticism is I think we just needed a little bit more of that because that was the most interesting aspect of like Echo dealing with this idea that maybe not all separatists are bad and in a changing galaxy, maybe they're changing as well. And I think that that was really interesting. I just wish we had a little bit more of it because I love Echo. I mean, even the beginning of the episode when like there was that shot of like them eating the Mantel mix and then like Echo looked at it and he was like really studying the popcorn and he didn't even eat it just even that little bit was funny I just I love every time they do something with Echo and sometimes in these episodes where he gets a good moral question they just don't quite follow through with it as much as I'd want them to but I guess you know they've only got 20 minutes to tell a story it's only a little minor nitpick but yeah I agree I thought it was a very interesting question to pose and it was definitely interesting this suggestion that he probably went on about it the whole way through hyperspace on the <laughs> on the way to this planet <laughs> Yeah, I mean, because the other clones obviously hate separatists, you know, just like any soldier, I suppose, is not a massive fan of whoever they're fighting against. But Echo's definitely got, like, an actual personal vendetta or, like, you know, personal reasons. But then, as you said, like, it, it again gives them a good opportunity to be like, okay, well, what Tambor did this to me? And he's a separatist, but then doesn't have to necessarily mean that, like, all separatists are going to, I do this to people because it is, you know, like awful what they did to them. Uh, so yeah, it's like separating, like, I suppose it's like separating like the political ideals of the separatists and like the Republic from the people, which I think is a very interesting concept that, you know, is obviously yeah. very relevant all the time in all walks of life. Yeah. But, and definitely. again, as you said, they only got 20 minutes. So what are you going to do? Because <laughs> wasn't it right at the beginning of the episode where they were, did, did they not say a line like oh we're not here to talk about politics like we're here to do a job basically um and i think yeah that, yeah that, that really links that point of you know at the end of the day when you actually like look at this senator senator singh he's an honorable bloke he cares about the people he represents whether they agree with him politically i mean a lot of their beliefs are to do with the war what side of the war they fought on but you know whether us as viewers agree with the politics of the separatists versus the politics of republic or whatever it's it's the fact that you can actually look at him despite his politics and be like yeah like a guy cares about his people he's an honorable bloke he probably joined the separatists because he thought it would be best for his people whether he was right or wrong whether he knew he was working for count you know a sith lord or whatever probably didn't so it's definitely an interesting question to pose. And I didn't really expect them to be posing it in the Bad Batch. So I appreciated it. I thought it was uh, thought it was really, really interesting. Yeah, I, I 
something I found really interesting as well in that opening scene, actually, I'm going to go back to that because it's reminded me, is the clones, like the normal clones uh, in all the white armor and stuff, they end up like doing the things that we see like the droids doing in the Clone Wars. Like they're the ones that are like going in and like basically just like getting rough for like a crowd of people for literally like, no reason. Um, which is, you know, we see like I'm pretty sure in the Clone Wars there's been numerous times when like a crowd has like not agreed with whatever like this separatist dictator or like whoever's in charge at that point. They're not happy with it. Um and then the droids obviously go in and get aggressive with them just because that's what their orders to do. And it was very um, disheartening, I suppose, to see like the clones that being reduced to just doing the exact same thing. Yeah, it's a complete uh, role reversal, isn't it? It's the the clones are now filling that sort of evil, faceless mass army that the droids were, but now for the Empire. And you know, these like little local like separatist leaders and senators actually no longer the villains that we viewed them as, and they're just sort of people also getting, you know, illegally um occupied by the Empire. So yeah, I think it's a it's a good point to make. And I think there's I mean they're looking practically like stormtroopers at this point. It's it's interesting how the more and more we see them, the less and less like the clones that we love they actually look like at this point. Um so yeah. Interestingly enough though, the bad batch, because obviously they're the good guys, still won't kill them. They spent the whole episode you know, using stun blasts instead mm. of actual blaster bolts, which I thought was a very interesting touch. They've almost had a change of heart. And I don't know if it's, is it perhaps the experience with Wrecker has maybe made them realize, you know, they, they can't help what they're doing. It's all programming. We shouldn't be killing our brothers, even if they are trying to kill us. I just thought that was very interesting to see. Yeah, I noticed that actually. When they started shooting, shooting at each other, like, yeah, the Bad Batch had switched to, um, the uh, stun mode or whatever you want to call it. Um, so yeah, I think that's a good point. Yeah, probably, I reckon it definitely has something to do with um, rec- that interaction with Wrecker and obviously getting their cl- chips out and probably Rex going into more detail about what the chips actually do. I think that's definitely widen their view on like how trapped the clones actually are inside their own heads. I always view it as like, I think the easiest way for me to like understand it or like my interpretation of it is like in get out or get out, should I say, pronounce my T's is when, you know, he's in the sunken place. That's how I always imagine it with the chips and like order night and, uh, and the order 66 and stuff. It's like, they're like down in like the sunken place and then they're like looking up and like can't do anything about it. That's just how I view it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's an interesting way to look at it. Um, but yeah, it's very much the, um, you know, your it's this. What's the? That's uh, the analogy. It's like it's like the you're sitting in the car, but the car's driving itself, and you've got no control. You can only watch, sort of thing. Um, it's that yeah, sort yeah. of similar sort of analogy of like you know these clones are the victims, but you know at the same time they are they are being bad. You know they're they're just. I mean, there was there was one part where like there were some dead, some stunned clones on the floor, and one of the tanks just walked over them. <laughs> like there's there's no I didn't, I didn't even yeah, there's that. just like, no regard. And you know, it used to be like the clones would never sacrifice a brother ever. That was one of the reasons you loved them in the Clone Wars. Like the droids wouldn't care if collateral damage, but the clones cared. 
And then in this, you just seem like clones just getting trampled on by like clones that are stunned on the floor, just got walked over by a tank. No fuss whatsoever. Um, tanks getting blown up when they're still like, you know, when the other tank was blowing up the one that they sort of, there were three tanks. So when they went to blow up the second one, there were clones everywhere that would have got blown up. It was very much like not the clones we're used to seeing. But I guess that's one of the reasons yeah. why this show is succeeding so well, because it really is showing that transition of Republic to Empire so well. And I think by using the clones, you know, characters that we hold really dearly, it, it makes that hit even harder. But this is a point we've talked about a load of times, but I think this episode, it was quite prominent again. Yeah, it seems like they're really trying to drive it home doing this. Uh, I'm assuming it's going to come up again this in this season. So it's a point they're really driving home about. One, just like Order 66, like the actual like extent of it. And then two, yeah, the like, transition between like, the uh, I don't know, like the moral views of like the Republic versus like the Empire and like how the Empire is just kind of like, well, you do as we tell you because it's the best thing for you, even though it's probably not, and it's just easier for like control, etc., etc. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, sort of plot-wise, I think this was actually quite quite a fairly straightforward episode. <clears throat> They're back on Old Mantel. They're back at Sid's. Sid's got a new mission for them, which is going to get them a load of money the mission involves rescuing the senator um hunter's too scared to take omega with him so she because i think personally i think the reason he doesn't want to take omega isn't because he feels she can't handle herself it's because i think he's worried that he's going to let her down again i think it's a guilt thing um which i think is quite an interesting development for hunter because he used to leave mega omega behind because he was like she's just a kid whereas now it very much felt like I can't trust myself to protect you because I feel bad about Cad Bane murking me the last time. So just stay here where no one can hurt you. Um, so they head off to Raxus on their super sneaky prison break, which I just thought was awesome. All that action, very cool. And then Omega stays behind with Sid. Sid gets her to <laughs> clean the bar, which is quite funny. And then she gets involved in this game of like chess i think it's basically chess hollow chess whatever it is she gets involved turns out she's a gamer Mm. she's a good gamer she's got strategy and then she ends up like beating my two favorite characters of the show the weak way and the authorian who always hangs out in sid's bar it's like the two local drunks who like never go Mm. home Um, I thought that was quite an interesting little subplot for Omega, considering that last week she had a really big week. I thought it was nice that she was given something a little bit less heavy, just a bit of like a side plot. But it was also quite a fun one. I liked her relationship with Sid and how Sid was calling her sort of weak and hopeless and then apologising for that. And it's nice to see Sid having to kind of almost be nice. Um, And then obviously Omega figuring out a way that she can like pay off the Bad Batch's debts by just betting and gambling and being being a pro gamer so i thought that whole sequences like the sequences throughout the whole episode i thought was really really funny and interesting for omega's character and interesting that strategy is a strength she has i'd like to see her and thrawn play a game of chess and, and see who wins <laughs> <laughs> no yeah i really enjoyed the little subplot we had or side plot we had with omega about her you know yeah sulking at the bar Sid's got her to do um, cleaning and like being left behind to then discovering that she's absolutely unreal at hollow chess and decides to 
make money off it <laughs> because what else are you going to do in a CD bar uh, on a gambling game or whatever? Um, but yeah, I think the idea of that she's really good with like strategies and stuff. I think it's one that's very interesting because um, like, where is that going to take us in future episodes? Uh, but two, I think it, it makes perfect sense. I think if you really think about it, because obviously, you know, she's a perfect clone of Django and Boba, um, two of the most, uh, you know, uh, intimidating and intimidating uh, bounty challenges across the galaxy. And you don't get like that just through like brute strength and skill. Like you got to have the tactical mind for it as well. Uh, so I think she definitely gets that from from Django fan. I think it makes complete sense. You know, there's, there's a reason he was the most feared bounty hunter in the galaxy, and there's the same same for Boba Fett. You know, you got to have the brains and the brawns. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I thought it was really good, and I also thought like the whole line at the end when like she was just like, "Well, I want it to be useful." Um, you know, because she didn't get brought on the mission, but she was like, "Yeah, I wanted to be useful, so I, you know, just decided to pay off all our debts." I just, I, I don't know, I liked it. I love how even when Omega gets sidelined, she still finds a way to be like really useful. And obviously, she's the protagonist, so that's how how the stories are written. But I don't know, it's it's endearing and it's really it's really nice to see. Um, I enjoyed it quite a lot. I was gonna say it was nice to see her get like, as you said, um, even when she's sidelined, like she's still useful still useful and like still contributes i think that's just it's nice that they added that plot in to kind of keep that ticking over yeah yeah i was just gonna say like the the final sort of point i had about this episode was the action in this episode was one of my favorite action sequences that we had i just there's been a lot of like obviously great action like obviously last week between the bounty hunters the week with sort of you know, Crosshair and the Empire arriving in Bracker. But this was like an episode where I really felt like we got to see the Bad Batch in action again, kicking ass, thinking outside the box, doing what they do, you know, tech being tech and Wrecker being Wrecker and Hunter. But, you know, we've, I just really loved the whole, not, not just the escape and using the tanks, but them sneaking into the prison. There were so much like tactics going on with tech and Hunter being a good leader. It was just an action scene that I absolutely loved. And um, it, it it gave me that need. It gave me that, it, um, fulfilled the craving I had for some more just bad batch being bad batch. Interesting enough, because Omega wasn't there, but I don't mean that as like a negative on Omega, but it was like, because Omega wasn't there, they just got to go back to their roots of like, how they used to be and I just thought it was really interesting to to see that action no yeah it was really good like those sequences like inside um, the palace or castle or whatever the, that was really good like using the droid as like, a distraction to then like, roll grenades under the roll shot grenades under <laughs> her legs and stuff like that that was just oh it's brilliant like it's just as you said the action sequences are so good like yeah, we get to see everyone like doing their own like, doing their thing yeah like, they're all yeah, they're all part of the the big jigsaw. Uh, that is the bag batch, like doing their own unique things. Yeah, I thought Tech had some great moments, you know, with obviously with the tanks and all that sort of thing, and um, the the moment when the the senator threw the vase at the clone's head, and then Tech just like ran in and just <laughs> punched him and stunned the other guy, and then went back to his tablet and fixed the tank. And then there was a really sick moment where Hunter like runs along the roads and there's like a group of clones and he like stuns like four of them, slides along the floor, stuns a couple more and then like jump jumps up the tank's leg and stuns even more. 
it was just badass action. It was really mm. good. It was, it was really like an exciting action sequence. I really enjoyed it. And a wrecker even had a moment where he like he threw a clone at a window again, which he always loves to do. So <laughs> all in all, <laughs> I really liked it. Um, and I just think that it was one of those episodes where, you know, it's, it's, it's not quite in like the top three, top five, but it's not, not like the bottom three, bottom five. I don't even like to call it that because, you know, all the episodes I think have been pretty good. I feel like it's a really good episode in the sense it's got some great action, some like great Omega moments, but we also, as we were talking about at the beginning, got some like really interesting themes and questions and wider galaxy, state of the galaxy things answered, which I thought just made it really interesting. And I think I just want to sort of touch on that sort of, sort of final moment or like the Senator um, and, you know, with um, him being like, wait, what am I doing? I can't leave my people behind. And then, uh, you know, Echo being like, you've got to live to fight another day, which is actually a direct, uh, direct quote from uh, Clone Wars. Cause that's what Hardcase says before he blows up the, uh, the ship over Umbara taking himself out. So, you know, full circles. Oh, what's that episode that is? Yeah, I, I think, I think as you said, we said just touched on earlier, like it's such a interesting thing to come from Echo to a separatist. I think was I think that was really nice, um, and that's a that's a good quote from the other seasons. I didn't know that actually. Uh, well, I probably did, but I just forgotten because I'd seen it such a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, I, I, cool I didn't recognize it myself. It was someone someone else had posted about it, but I, I claimed I claimed <laughs> to know it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah fair enough yeah that's full circle or well, like that's at least a nice nice complete circle for that yeah yeah so um and i think the the title common ground i thought was nice because they had to find common ground with a separatist um and i just it was nice i almost want more of this sort of stuff i do when they do these side quest episodes i know you get people who moan about side quest episodes but when they're a side quest episode which has awesome action like updates you on the state of the galaxy and has some of those really nice thematic questions on moral choices and the characters battling with them like they were in this episode it makes it completely worthwhile so um i personally like this episode quite a lot more than i imagine some other people did um i hope we see sort of more like it um and yeah i'm, I'm excited for for next week yeah me too um yeah i think this episode ticked all the boxes for me like you know it added as you said it added things about the state of the galaxy you know there's good action there was nice themes and like questions around the episode so yeah i think this is a good episode and i think it's there's yeah i think you'd be an idiot to call it like a filler episode or something like that because yeah. there's so much information that it gave you i yeah. think if you're calling it a filler you kind of just you're missing all the points yeah, and I think the the only other thing that I'd add it's two things that I've noticed. These are these are not even like serious points. These are just funny things that I've noticed. Firstly, people people online have been talking about the music in Sid's bar uh, and how like there's just constantly just like good tunes going on in the background. And I was listening to it when I was watching it. I was just like, geez, like I could actually probably sit in Sid's bar and just sort of groove out to these these uh, tunes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, li- I'm liking this 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 old mantel music it's pre- it's pretty hard <laughs> oh i hadn't actually noticed to be honest <laughs> i'll have to listen out next time yeah a, well. yeah when you rewatch, if you as long as you've got headphones on you really notice it quite well 
And then the other thing which I noticed online, which is quite funny, is there's people simping over like one of the like characters who's like in the crowd on uh, on, on Raxus. There's like a Pantoran woman in the crowd and I literally seen like five different people on Twitter you know when you click on the hashtag you see like at least five different people on Twitter being like simping over just being like oh that, that Pantoran woman is beautiful <laughs> I mean each to your own you know, know. <laughs> it's, it's spot, spotted her in the crowd and they just took to Twitter to to uh, express it which I respect but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's nice that we will have to hear about that <laughs> But yeah, I don't really have a huge amount else to say. I think we've uh, we've had some pretty good discussions about both episodes today. Mm. Uh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm good. Uh, I enjoyed talking about it there, to be fair. It's a good episode. Some good episodes this week. Yeah, definitely. And um, next week, we will be back, obviously. Um, I think next episode, next episode's format will very much depend on what happens in next week's episode of the bad batch um because we've got our book club to do next week so if it ends up being a an episode of the bad batch where there's a huge amount to talk about we might do what you've done this week and pass it on to the following week and do a double episode and have a whole hour to talk about the book club or if it's an episode we could probably enough happens but we could talk about it in like 20 minutes then we'll talk about the episode and then the book afterwards um we'll just We'll make a decision based on what the episode's like. Yeah, that makes sense. Or, or we'll have an hour and 15 episode if we want to talk about uh, Into the Dark a little bit more. <clears throat> but that will be that'll be coming up next week. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it, to be fair. I'm, I'm deep in my audio book for my, for my, re, my re-read, but it's technically a re-listen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm liking the audio book format, actually. I think it definitely adds a bit of, um, I don't know, like, character to it yeah yeah it's interesting it's interesting it's my first dive into audiobooks for star wars or audiobooks in general for about 15 years so uh, Mm. it'll be interesting to talk about it next week right so we'll wrap up um make sure you give us a follow on on the instagram at live from vader's castle twitter at vader's castle pod make sure you're following our podcast on apple spotify amazon wherever you get your 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 podcasts from um drop us any message messages questions about to the, these episodes or in advance of the book club next week if you've read into the dark if you've been reading into the dark and you have any questions queries theories let us know and we will talk about them next week um and that's that's everything from us this week yeah uh thank you for listening and uh, we'll see you next week yeah see you next week everyone bye